Today is going to be an exciting day for some of you. Um, we are finishing Philippians uh, this morning, and so we'll be in Philippians chapter 4, uh, and we'll, we'll go from verse 14 to the end of the book, verse 23. Um, I hope that y'all have enjoyed this study through the Philippians, and I hope that um, we would also enjoy this morning as we receive God's Word. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Let's hear God's Word. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia... Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's come before our God in prayer as we ask for his help. Heavenly Father, we come before your word this morning and ask that you would help us to understand it, that you would help us to apply it. We pray even now that your spirit would be taking these very words that we read, for they are your words, and writing them upon our hearts. We come before your word longing to hear you speak, longing to hear you Show us more of Jesus. We pray that as we spend time in your word this morning, you would both comfort us with your grace, that you would also challenge us by your righteousness. We pray this morning that you would call those who are even now in the dark into the light. We pray through the proclamation of your word, you would transform your people in order that we would be more like Jesus, in whose precious name we pray. Amen. You know, when, <clears throat> when little kids learn to speak, they, they pick up a few words very quickly. You know, dad, dad, and mama, you know, they learn that pretty quickly. They, uh, you know, and it makes sense, you know, they see a lot of dad, dad, and mama, and Pretty dependent on uh, daddy and mommy, and so that makes sense. They they learn the word no pretty quickly too, though, right? I mean, and that again makes sense. They they hear that word an awful lot when they're little bitty. Um, fairly soon, their vocabulary increases to include another popular word among small children, and that word is mine. Um, all of a sudden, when they learn that word, everything is mine. Everything. You know, sharing is probably one of the most difficult, teaching children to share is one of the most difficult things you can possibly try to do, Um, because it involves telling them that they need to give something 
to someone else, something that they think belongs to them. Um, you know, and so there's usually a lot of fit throwing, a lot of crying involved with all this stuff, and they're made to share what's mine. Um, and you know that that is a universal problem. Every parent in the world understands that. Um, you know, every child is born, including you, even though you're not a child anymore, is born into this world thinking the world must revolve around me. That's the way it was supposed to be. Um, You don't have to worry about teaching your children certain things. You don't have to worry about teaching your child selfishness. They come fully equipped uh, to do that when they're born. Um, In other words, they are born, and we are all born wanting to be our own gods. Um, It's a problem that we all inherited from Adam and Eve, you know, in the garden, when they wanted to be their own gods in the whole world because of their sin and disobedience, was plunged into ruin and misery. Fair enough, but here's what I think. I think sometimes we think that we grew up and we grew out of this problem. And I think what actually happened was that we just got a lot more sophisticated about it. Um, You know, the selfishness and a lack of desire to, to really give and share, it's really... You know, it's bold-faced, it's underlined, it's in italics. When you, when you see a child throwing a fit over sharing and, and giving. But 40-year-olds, they, they've learned how to compose themselves. And they've learned how to rationalize things. And so we say, well, you know, I, I just don't know if this is really a big enough need for me to get involved. Um, you know, I've worked hard for what I have, and it's... I, de- I deserve to enjoy my stuff and my things, you know, and, and I, I shouldn't be expected to make all these sacrifices. Somebody else can do it. I'll give, but I shouldn't have to do it all myself. Let some, give somebody else an opportunity to serve, you know. Or, quite often, we just, we give in order to get. I hope you know what I mean. You know, we say, well, if I give, then I'll probably get some respect in turn. If I give, I'll probably get some affirmation. If I give, I'll get to feel better about myself. Or even if I give, I can make this person a debtor to me. It is far more sophisticated than a tantrum in, you know, aisle 12 at the Kroger. But the root of the problem is still there in all of us. It's deep in our hearts. We have a hard time when it comes to giving. And you see here in Paul's closing remarks to his friends, uh, the Philippians, in this passage he speaks of their... They're giving. And somehow what I want you to see in, the, in this passage is that this group of people displayed in their life a pattern of giving. Somehow this group of people found freedom, found freedom to take on the burdens of others and freedom from their self-centeredness, and they, and they gave freely. Somehow this group of people found a compelling reason to let go of what they could have considered theirs and give it to others. So here are the three things I want us to notice as we finish Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we see here a giving that is generous, a giving that testifies, and a giving that pleases God. So first, a giving that is generous. As you read these verses, there's a kind of obvious note of encouragement here from Paul to the Philippians. And the thing he's encouraging them in is their generous giving. Right from the start, you see that their sacrificial giving really sets them apart. Because Paul reminds them, he reminds this group of people that they were the only ones to share 
in his troubles. Verse 15, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. And he shares even more details about this giving that he's speaking of in the, in the letter he writes to the, to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9, he writes this, And when I was with you, speaking to the Corinthians, and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, that is the Philippians, supplied what I needed. And you hear that, and at first you think, well, isn't that nice? I mean, here's their, they're supporting their missionary. They're sending out a missionary. You know, they wrote a check. But that doesn't quite get at it because you back up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and you read this. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Here are the Philippians. They are not rich. They are poor. They're not making a professional salary. They are impoverished. And out of that poverty, Paul says they were rich in generosity. They didn't just give a little extra so that, so that they weren't really inconvenienced in life, but they really risked something. In their giving. I mean, Paul says they gave beyond their ability. I mean, basically, they looked at what they had and they, and they said, we need this. But we're going to give it away anyway. And you know what? They begged Paul for this opportunity. That they would give beyond their ability. I mean, Paul says they pleaded with us for this privilege of serving the saints. But listen, this wasn't just, you know writing a check and walking away. In verse 14, Paul says that they shared in his troubles. You see, they saw him in need and they jumped in. I mean, they voluntarily burdened themselves with his burdens. You know, the word for share there in the Greek is the word we would also translate fellowship. You see, it's saying they took it on themselves and they walked through it with them. It wasn't just a one-time thing. It wasn't just... One and done, you know, and now we're out. Our consciences are clear. They entered into his troubles continually. Verse 16 speaks about, speaks about this and it says that they sent him aid again and again when he was in need. I mean, it is not one and done. This is a continual giving that we're talking about here. And here's what I want you to understand in all this. They're giving... <coughs> It was a real sacrifice. It involved great risk to them personally to give at this measure. And they were glad to do it. And I think this is very important to understand. It wasn't an event for them to give like this. It wasn't a one-time thing. It wasn't an event, but a way of living for them. You know, I think it's kind of like this. You know, when I watch... The, something like the Olympics on TV and maybe the 400-meter race or something like that, it, it feels to me like a one-time event when I watch it. You know, I, I mean, the announcers even talk about them as track events and those kind of things. But, you know, we're talking about something that is really just the culmination of a way of life for these runners, right? I mean, it's a 400-meter race, and it lasts less than 45 seconds on your television screen to watch. 
Seems like an event to you. But these athletes have been in training most of their lives for that 45 seconds. I mean, they've trained, they've worked with coaches, they've exercised, their social life, their diets, everything is regimented towards this end. They have run countless races leading up to that race. For you and me, we watch it and we think that is an event. But for those guys, this running is a way of life, a pattern of living. Hours and days and weeks and months and years of their life have been devoted to this one thing. It's a pattern. You see, when God calls us to generous living, he isn't calling you to a one-time event but to a way of life, to a pattern of sacrificial, risky giving. See, our lives are to be characterized by this, characterized by generosity and giving. The kingdom of God invites you into an adventure where you are meant to live out risky and selfish generosity. You see, in the kingdom of the world, you can live selfishly. And you can try and gather up for yourselves and store up for yourselves treasures. But in the kingdom, you are invited to give away those treasures to those who are in need. In another sermon, uh, not this one, but, you know, I'll have the opportunity to tell you that God calls you to give a lot of things. He calls you to give up your energy and your time and your talents and, and all that's legitimate. So I don't want you to mishear me. But in this passage, God is calling you to give up your money. I mean, that's the generous gift that Paul is referring to here. These people saw an opportunity to give up their stuff, their money. Impoverished as they were, God's grace moved them to give materially for the advancement of the gospel. The kingdom goes forth through the resources of God's children. You are called to give up materially for the kingdom. Well, second... Giving that testifies, this sacrificial giving and this way of life, it, it, it really points to something. See, their giving, Paul says in this passage, points to the grace that is at work in their lives. See, the second point explains why they were free to give like this, why they were free to burden themselves with Paul's troubles. In verse 17, Paul writes, Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. And maybe that language sounds a little strange to you, but Paul is saying, <coughs> excuse me, I wasn't looking for the gift. He's saying, I wasn't looking at the gift, but I was looking to see God's grace worked out in your life. Sinclair Ferguson writes about this verse that Paul sees in the Philippians. He sees in their giving proof of hearts changed by grace. D.A. Carson writes this in his commentary, and he says that Paul is saying that he isn't looking at the gift and mainly happy about the gift. Paul is happy that they are acting like Christians. That's what he's happy about, because this is what Christians do. They give, and they give sacrificially, and they give generously. You know, when you were born into this world as a fallen sinner, it was natural for you to take rather than to give, to claim rather than to let go. And to be sure, we grew up and we got more sophisticated about it, but we come into this world with broken hearts that are bent in on ourselves. And we get it. It is natural for us to do that. It's the natural result of being born with a self-centered heart to live that way. But here's the thing. The natural result of experiencing God's generosity is that you would become a generous person. That it would be 
a way of life for you. See, it is the gift of Jesus that sets you free to give like this. How are you set free to become a giver? God sets you free by giving you his son. In verse 19, Paul reminds them that God meets their needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. They are free to give because they have received riches in Christ Jesus. Their giving testifies to the fact that God's grace is at work in their lives. You know, there is a stark contrast between religion and Christianity. A stark contrast between being religious and a gospel-created life. I mean, you see, if you're religious, <coughs> you give. And if you're a Christian, you give. In both approaches to life, you can see the activity of giving, right? But I want to tell you this. In religion, you are always you are always giving to get something. You sacrifice and you put yourself at risk, but you do it because you think that you will get something in return, maybe peace of conscience, get rid of the guilt, or you give because you think you could possibly earn God's smile. You give to get something in religion, but the gospel-created life is much different. You do not give to get. You give because you have received. Right? The giving is a result of having received. It's not to get something, but it is done out of love and gratitude. Charles Spurgeon, the great... Baptist preacher in the 1800s invented a <coughs> parable to get across this concept. And he talks about how there was once a gardener. And uh, he had worked in his garden that, that year and uh, he was reaping the harvest and he grew this huge, beautiful carrot. And so he brought it to the king of the kingdom. And he said, you know, my lord, the king, you know, this is the greatest thing. I have ever grown in my garden. It's the greatest thing I will ever grow in my garden. And I want you to have it. I want you to have it as a token of my love, as a token of my respect for you, because you are such a great king. Well, there's a nobleman in court, you see, and he overheard all of this that was going on, and he started to do a little calculating, you know. If, um, because what the king did in response to that was, the king said, I can see that I, I can trust you. You're a faithful servant. And you know that land next to yours, I'm, I'm not using it. And so you can just have that land and garden that land as well. So this nobleman's there in the corner and he's calculating all of this and he's thinking, you know, if that's what you get for a carrot, well then, you know. And so the next day he came in and he's leading this big, beautiful horse into the court. And he, and he comes up to the king and he says, my king, I, I breed horses. And this is the finest horse I've ever bred. The, be the best I have. And I want you to have it as a token of my gratitude, as a token of my love and respect for you, my king, because you're such a great king. But the king was wise, and the king looked at that, and he saw right through it. And he said, he said to him, he said, that gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. <laughs> you know, the gardener gave me the carrot for my sake, and you were giving... Me the horse for your sake. You see, you can be very religious and give. Even give very, very sacrificially. Give the very best you, best you have and only be doing it for yourself. Giving to yourself to feel good about yourself. Giving to yourself so that you feel needed. Giving to yourself so that you, you can earn God's blessing. But the gospel alone can set you free from that. 
Not to give, but to, not to get, but to, just to give. I mean, giving is the natural response of having received the riches of Christ. In the gospel, giving comes from, from a heart of love and gratitude. You see, if you are ever going to be set free in your life to become a generous giver, not just in little events, but as a pattern of living, you have to work this gospel deep into your heart. You have to be convinced that you have received the riches of Christ and only then will you find yourself free to give. Well, finally, we see that this kind of giving, this generous sacrificial giving out of gratitude for what God's done, it it pleases God. By living your life in response to God's grace, you are pleasing to God. That's what this passage is teaching. Verse 17 When Paul talks about these gifts that he received from the Philippians, he says that they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. There is some imagery from the Old Testament here. We read of one of those places in in, in Psalm 20 earlier in our service. Um, But, you know, this goes all the way back to, to Genesis. And after the flood, Noah built an altar after the flood to God and he sacrificed burnt offerings there. And it says this, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. In Exodus chapter 29, a burnt offering is given to God and it says this, it is a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, an offering to the Lord by fire. In Leviticus 1.9 and a number of other places, the same phrase is used. In several places throughout the Old Testament, you see this imagery. And here's what's going on in the Old Testament. They would take an animal and they would put their hand on the head of the animal And it was a picture for them. It was an animal without any defects. And they placed their hand on the head of that animal. And it was a picture saying, my sins are transferred to this animal. And then they would slaughter that animal. And it was a gory picture. And it involved a lot of blood. And then they burned that sacrifice. And the aroma went up to God, and it was pleasing to him, satisfied him. I mean, the picture was just this. This animal doesn't deserve to die. It has no defects in it. And yet it suffers what I really deserve. So what was that a picture of? Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, Paul uses this same language to speak about Jesus. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Here it is. As a fragrant offering And sacrifice to God. Those animals, he is saying, were a picture of Jesus to come. A fragrant offering. An acceptable sacrifice to God. He lived the life you should have lived. And he died the death you should have died. But that still leaves me with a big question here. I mean, it gives gives some background to, to some of the language, right? And takes us to Jesus, points us to Jesus. But in Philippians, it is their giving that is a fragrant offering and a sacrifice pleasing to God. And here's what I think is going on. Why is generous sacrificial giving important to God? Why does our giving bring pleasure to God? It is because it is a reflection of what He is like. You see, He is generous. He is giving He gave a sacrifice for us, his own son. Now, I want you to listen to me closely as we bring this to a close. I am a 
I'm a very blessed man, and I know it. Um, I love my family. It's why I talk about them a lot. I have a... I just I gotta stop using them as illustrations. Um, but uh, you know I have a, a I have a sweet, good-looking, godly wife and mother. Happy Mother's Day. Um, we have three kids: Kennedy, and William, and Caroline. And I absolutely adore those kids. Here's, a, here's another reason why I'm blessed. I also love my job. You know, I, I feel like Christmas comes like 12 times a year when I get a paycheck. It feels like a bonus. Um, I love it. We love being in Memphis with you. You know... The main reason I love this job is because I love (laughs) y'all. Don't feel awkward. I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable with that, but you're the reason I I enjoy it. And why I I love my job, but I need you to hear me on this. I think you are great. I brag about you to all my friends. But listen, I would never, 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 Trade my family for you. I would never, ever sacrifice my children for you or for this job. I would never, ever give them up for you. And you're great. You're kind. You're wonderful. Most of you are potty trained. We... (laughs) There are so many great things about you, but I could never give them up for you. You know, in John 3, 16, we're we're talking about giving. And it's such a familiar verse that we often just miss it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. As a parent, that blows my mind. I don't know that I can fully understand that. I cannot begin to fathom the depths of God's love for broken people. The depths of his grace for self-centered people like me. So great is his love that he would really give up his son. And God says, look at the cross. That is how good I am to you. That is how generous I am to you. That is the giving kind of God I am to you. See, how do you get... Set free to give. You see Jesus. I mean, listen, money and things and stuff, that isn't bad. I mean, having possessions is part of our dignity as human beings. But what I am saying to you is that you can only be free to give when things stop defining you and you are defined by a Savior who is stripped of everything on a cross in order to give And to cover you with his righteousness. God is pleased with our giving. Because he is a gracious, generous, sacrificing God. Even when it comes to sacrificing his own son in your place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we 
come this morning and we confess that we do have hearts that are bent in towards ourselves, that we are self-centered people. We long for glory for ourselves. We long many times to give just to get. And I pray that you, by your grace and mercy, would set us free. And that you would show us that the only way to be free from ourselves is to realize the gift you have given us in your son, Jesus. That we have the riches of Christ credited to our account. We will not go in need. We go with plenty. Cause us, we pray, to become a people who don't just give every once in a while, but a people who are characterized by generous spirits, by sacrificial giving in all of life. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.